Okay, we're continuing on in our short series uh, that we're doing, focusing on community. And uh, if you're new to the church, our typical pattern is to teach through books, kind of verse by verse. And we're taking a short break just to look at some of the practices of Jesus that will help us to experience his reality in our lives. We say that we're not going to experience the life of Jesus unless we begin to practice the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we've taken the first part of the year and we looked at that foundational practice that Jesus had of prayer, of getting away, of going away and being with his Father, and that kind of strengthening him and and ministering to his heart. But that then, he didn't stay away. He then reconnected with his followers, the community of believers that he had gathered together for ultimately building his church. When Christ came, he did not come to the Roman Colosseum with all sorts of amazing, miraculous activity happening to show who he was to the world, but he came to a humble family and he walked among us and then he gathered people with him that were not the movers and shakers of society, but he transformed their lives and then used them to transform the world. He worked through community to make a difference in the world. Last week, uh, I was able to dedicate Amelia uh, and just the, the reality of you know, this five-day-old child and looking at that child. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that we are called the body of Christ. And we fleshed that out a little bit on the first day. But what is, what is the point of a body? Why do we have a body? What's the purpose of that body? And when Amelia was up here, she's so small, right? And the hope is that, what, she will grow. She will mature. In five years from now, we won't still be able to hold her with one arm. And she won't hopefully still be taking a bottle. But she'll be learning some of these tasks and growing. And then 20 years from now... The hope, I think, of Roger and Emily is that she's going to be a functioning adult that's able to love other people and knows Jesus and contributes to the world around her. And so when Roger and Emily look at little Amelia, they have hopes and desires and goals for her, and they probably have a pretty good picture of what that would look like when she is an adult. And the fact that we're called a body as well We're called to a purpose, to a goal, to a destination. And it's not that we constantly stay in this state of infancy, but that we grow up. And I think most of us in the church realize, yeah, we need to grow if we're a body. But so often in the world today, growth is simply numerical growth, just to get bigger. And it is my hope that God uses this body to grow his kingdom through sharing the gospel with others, but that's not the only goal of growth in the body. Bodies grow to a certain point, and then hopefully they stop growing. Maybe your waistline continues to grow a little bit, and there can be unnatural growth, like cancer is growth out of control. So the main goal, I don't think, is just getting big. But I think so often in the church today, that is the goal of so many churches in this world today. We just want to grow. We just want to be, be big. But I think God has a, a greater goal for the body than just to get big. 
But I think unlike probably Roger and Emily that have a pretty good picture of what a mature Amelia will look like when she's 20 or so, I don't know if in the church we've got as good a picture of what that will look like. So if you turn to the book of Ephesians, and we're going to look at several passages this morning. If you've got a handout, they're listed on the top. And as I said a couple weeks ago, we're not going to do a deep dive verse by verse into a lot of these passages. I know you all are intelligent people. Read through those, study those, and continue to look at them. But we're going to focus on just some issues this morning. Um, Yeah, with background music and everything. (laughs) So I want to look at what Paul's goal for the church was, this body of believers. So looking at Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And this is his goal, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul's goal there is that we become a mature body that reflects this mature adulthood of Jesus Christ, that we become Christ-like. The same thing he says in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Paul is telling him, telling the, the believers in Colossa all the things that he's doing, and then he says in verse 28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. So God's goal for our community, for this body of believers, is to grow in Christ-likeness so that we then begin to approach life and the things that hit us in life with the thinking and the responding of Jesus Christ, how he would think and how he would respond in the situations that we're in. Remember the WWJD, you know, craze a while ago, what would Jesus do? I think that's somewhat helpful, but I don't think it's great. I think it should be W-W-J-D-I-H-W-M. Now, that's not as, as catchy, but what would Jesus do if he were me? If he were a male living in 2021 with the gifts and talents that I have, what would Jesus do if he were me? Because sometimes, they, what would Jesus do? Like, I'm not the son of God. But you know what? If you are a child of God, you have the spirit of Christ residing in you to help you do what Christ is calling you to do in the world. God's goal for us is to be Christ-like. It's not simply to grow in numbers. 
It's not simply to share the gospel so we get a bunch of notches on our belt, but it's helping people to become fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ who are then able to pour their love into other people. That is the picture of a mature body. That is God's goal for us as a body of believers. And like human growth, to me this is a process. We don't arrive there instantaneously. We grow together as a body recognizing that Christ indwells all of us by his spirit and he is calling us to mature, but nobody arrives there quickly, I don't think. And what's the character of Christ? To me, it's that fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit of Christ, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and control of self. Do you want those things to characterize your life? Do you want to be known as a person of love? Do you want to be a person that is not riddled with anxiety, but just walks through life with a sense of peace and direction? Do you want to experience joy that superintends all of your circumstances, but it's just a settled conviction, you know what? I'm loved by my Father. He's in my corner. He is for me. And no matter what this world does to me, nothing, nothing can separate me from his love. And even if he takes me out, man, I'm just being promoted to be with Christ and experience God's presence forever. I want to experience that. And I want to experience that more regularly. I want to grow into that place of maturity. And I'm sure you do as well. But I'm sure as you look at your life, you realize, man, there's so many areas where I fall short in this. So that's a great goal. My becoming like Jesus Christ in my attitudes and my actions. But how do we get there? How does this happen in life? Do I need to go off to seminary? Do I need to go to the streets of Calcutta? Do I need to memorize tons and tons of scripture? Do we need to give more? How do I get to that place where I am more Christ-like? So to me, the goal is becoming like Jesus Christ. Then we need to think about how we get there. What is the means that God uses in our life to get there? I want you to take a look around you. Yeah, actually do it. Look around at the people around you. That is God's method. And you're like, what? The person next to me? That's God's method of making me Christ-like? Yes, it is. When each one of us lovingly and unselfishly uses the gifts God has given us to help others grow towards maturity in Christ. The top of your sheet, I've listed all the places where the gifts of the Spirit are listed there. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Romans 12, 6 through 8, Ephesians 4, 11, 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. And I want to look at that 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11 just because it's the most succinct. I think all those lists are slightly different. So to me, it lets me know that none of them are exhaustive. We don't have a complete list of, of all the gifts. And Peter kind of summarizes it in two categories. Basically, in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 10. 
as each has received a gift. And if you look at all of those passages, it reemphasizes the fact that each one of us has a gift or gifts that have been given by the Spirit of Christ. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter breaks down the gifts. He says, we've all been given a gift. And he says, there's basically speaking gifts and then there's serving gifts. There's gifts that use the mouth and there's gifts that use the hand and other aspects of who we are. But for the purpose of building up the body of Jesus Christ. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's another list of gifts that are there, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago briefly. Starting in verse 8, it says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other an utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, and then later on in verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and miracles, and gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, and all those in the Greek, they require a negative response. No, not all have all those gifts, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. So Paul here is giving us a list of gifts, and some of those gifts we see that are word gifts, and some are service gifts. And oftentimes we kind of categorize the gifts into those that are more supernatural and those that are more natural, right? As you look at supernatural, the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge, and to be honest, we don't really know exactly what that wisdom is and what that knowledge is. And sometimes you'll hear people get really dogmatic, well, this is the word of wisdom and this is the word of knowledge. But all we know is that wisdom tends to be more towards practical things. Knowledge is something that, you know, is just out there that you may not know that God imparts to you at that time. There's prophecy, there's tongues, and then there's the other gifts that are just more somewhat natural, right? Administration. That word was used of piloting a ship. So someone that gives kind of direction and vision to a body and where it should go. But then there's gifts of, of service. And it's just a really broad word. It just means to serve and, and to help in, in many, many ways. And then there's the gift of giving. I've never heard somebody pray, God, I just really, really want the gift of giving. Please, please impart that to me. But all of these, if you look at the Greek, they're all gifts from God. They're all 
charismata, or from charis, that grace. They're grace gifts of God that he gives to his church to build up and equip the church to become more mature, to become more like Jesus Christ. And the question in all of this as we look at it is that these gifts that are given to unify and mature us in the modern church have often become things that divide and separate us. That there's huge debates on how these gifts should operate in the church. That if these gifts even exist anymore, especially the more, quote, miraculous ones like prophecy and healing and tongues. And there's a group in the church that says none of those exist anymore. And the reason they use for saying that is from 1 Corinthians 13, and starting in verse 8, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. That seems clear that these things are going to go away, but when is that going to happen? For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when the perfect comes, these gifts will no longer be needed. But what is the perfect that Paul is talking about there? He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. It seems like what Paul is talking about, the perfect coming there is the return of Christ, when I know fully and I am fully known. What oftentimes people that say, okay, none of those gifts are operative today, say, well, the perfect is the completed canon of Scripture. I do not think that's what Paul is talking about there. I think that these gifts still continue in our church today. But to me, sometimes it's an issue of semantics. And certain words are used in certain contexts that will set people off. To me, the reality is that God is still speaking to his people today. How many of you have talked to somebody and through something they've shared, you've just been tremendously encouraged or seriously challenged to take a different direction in your life? Okay, if you go to a charismatic church, they will say, well, that's a word of knowledge or that's a word of wisdom or that's a prophecy. In our church, we would say, you know, it seems to me the Lord may be indicating <laughs> something like this, right? And there's a tentative nature to that. And, and to me, it's kind of comforting. You look back at the church in Corinth, which was a hot mess, and you realize, man, they're struggling with a lot of this stuff. And the two gifts they were primarily struggling with was prophecy and tongues, right? And that's in chapter 14. I'll let you read that. But Paul basically says, hey, you guys, you're thinking tongues is the main thing. Man, everybody's coming together. Everybody's speaking in tongues. And he says, it's chaos and it's crazy. He says, man, I wish everybody spoke in tongues, but I'd rather utter five intelligible words in the church as the body is gathered than thousands of words in a tongue. And we look at that and we say, yeah, right on, Paul, we're from evangelical and we're conservative about this guy. Doesn't work in that way anymore, right? We're not gonna do that anymore. When I was going to seminary, um, some guys went down to a charismatic church in downtown Chicago and started reading from the Gospel of John in Greek. 
And then somebody got up and supposedly gave an interpretation of that that was so far off from what had been said. And it's like, well, see, God never works in that way in church. And it's easy when we have an orientation to say, yeah, that's right, you know. And we look around at certain churches and there's all sorts of chaos going on. And it's like, that is just not operating as God says these gifts should operate here. But I think oftentimes as evangelicals, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I was talking to Jamie this morning and we were saying, you know, if there's false teaching in the church, we don't say, ah, oh, the gift of teaching is just nonsense. We just got to throw, throw that out, right? No, we compare that with the word of God and we're to evaluate teaching. And every Sunday when I get up here, you need to be looking at the word of God yourself and saying, is what Helvey's saying accurate, true to the word of God? The Bereans were called noble because they checked Paul out based on the word of God. And if Acts is saying that's something good, that's something you need to be doing. I think in the evangelical church, and I'm going to shoot myself on the foot here, we've way too highly elevated pastors and the gift of teaching. And it's an important part of the body. But in the church today, the superstars are the super teachers, right? And we can listen to them, and it's great. Yeah, and, and that's a gift of God. But I think there's many, many other gifts that Paul says, you know what, they're super important. Maybe more important than that. As we gather together to recognize that, you know what, I've been given a special gift by God. And it's not for my benefit, right? It's not for me to feel good about myself. It's for me to encourage and to build up other believers. And as we look at these gifts, it's so easy to draw those lines and say, no, that's out, that's in. I don't like how you're doing things here. And, and we live in a world where it's so easy to get cynical about a lot of this stuff, right? We're constantly rating everything, right? You go anywhere now, you buy like a cup of yogurt somewhere and, and you'll get an email, it's like, would you rate our yogurt? It's like, I don't want to rate your yogurt, I just want to buy your yogurt, don't bother me, right? Or you go on Amazon, how many stars? How many of you get, you know, constantly, it's all this kind of stuff. You, especially if you buy a car, man, you're going to get like 50. Please rate our dealership, please do all this kind of stuff. And so we rate everything and that's just in our thinking. So we come as a body and we, we I think, even unconsciously sit back and it's like, okay, I'm going to rate this. How's the worship? Uh, mm, I'll give it this. And we come with a consumer mentality, not I'm here to serve. Not God has brought us into a body to be a body and each part needs to do its job or we're not gonna grow up into maturity in Jesus Christ. That's the reality, right? But we really, really struggle to do this. And I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. I talked about him a couple weeks ago, the IBM researcher, Tim Uren Holland, H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E. -E. Hofstede? Hofstede. He studied like 70 different cultures around the world and, and the, there were four or five traits that he looked at in all of them. And one of the traits he studied was individualism versus kind of collectivism. Is it a group culture or is it an individual culture? And I said, N the number one, most individualistic country in the world is the US, followed by Australia and then UK. 
And if we don't think that's impacted us as a church and how we think about church, I think we're being naive. That is deeply, deeply entrenched into our bones, right? That we are people that can do it on our own. We'll, we'll do it on our own, man. It's, it's Jesus, me, and my favorite podcast. We can handle this. That's going to mature me. That will grow me up, right? And we've been through COVID, and that's how kind of we functioned, and the church has become just kind of a content delivery machine, right? And we think the more content we deliver, that's kind of automatically going to produce spiritual growth and transformation. And I'm a teacher, and I think the content is hugely important, but I think it's not all that we need to grow. I need people around me that will tell me the truth, that will look me in the eye. And I'm, I'm not against all this digital technology we have. I think some of it is really beneficial and great. But the challenge with that kind of connection with other people is that we're always in control of that. It's like, okay, I really don't like what you're saying. I'm done, right? I don't like that you're pushing into my life and maybe challenging how I think about how I'm using my resources or how my sex life is working out. I don't want anybody to bother me, and if I'm on digitally, then I am in control of everything. If I get in a real conversation with real people, I'm not in control. They may say something that, that I don't like, and then it gets uncomfortable, and then I've got to work through that. But that's what God has called us to. And again, we can use technology, I think, in really beneficial ways, but it can also suck us in to this thing that we think we have community, but we really don't. It's a pseudo-community. It's a superficial community. It's a community that I control, that I set the boundaries and how close somebody gets, and it's really easy for me just, um, okay, we're done. I don't want to hear that. But God has called us as a body to be together and to recognize, you know what, you've got gifts that I need. And I've got gifts that you need. And that's how we grow up. And if we don't have that connection, I think we are going to be spiritually stunted in our growth. That's just the reality. Peter says something amazing. He says that we are all partakers of the divine nature. Think about that. The person sitting next to you, if they know Jesus Christ, is a partaker in the divine nature of God. So do you think they may have something to say to you or do for you that will be beneficial and you're becoming more like Jesus Christ? I think one part of the Reformation that kind of has gotten left behind is this concept of the priesthood of all believers, right? We're all about solo Christus, solo gratia, solo scriptura, you know, saved by grace through faith alone. It's just by the work of Christ. It's only for God's glory. We're all about that, but it's also we're called to be a priesthood of all believers, to work together. In Colossians 3, Paul says, we're all to teach and admonish one another. It's like, oh, that's not my job. I'm, that's the pastor's job. Or that's the home group leader's job. 
No, we're all called to teach and admonish one another. Some of us may do it more or in a different context, but we're all called to do that. That means we all should be students of God's word, getting to know God's word and thinking about, okay, who are the people in my life that I can minister to? What kind of words do they need to hear if I've been given speaking gifts that will encourage them and build them up or maybe exhort them and challenge them? God still wants to speak to us today and he does that, I think, primarily through people around us and through his word. And again, I think sometimes we get so concerned about controlling everything that we say, no, God doesn't work in that way anymore. If you're interested in digging a little bit more into spiritual gifts, I'd recommend a book, D.A. Carson. He was one of my teachers up at Trinity, showing the spirit, uh, a theological exposition of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Good. And in terms of the gift of prophecy today, a guy named Wayne Grudem, who was also one of my teachers, um, he's read it, written a systematic theology as well, but the gift of prophecy in the church today. And Grudem's stance is that prophecy is different in the New Testament than the Old Testament, because in the New Testament, when a prophet gives a message that's supposed to be evaluated, and here it doesn't say you kick him out of the church if it's wrong, but you evaluate that gift. And as you look at the church today, I think we need to hear from the Lord in special ways. And again, we don't have to make this, this is not equivalent to the word of God, it's just God, as Grudem defines it, bringing to mind something spontaneously for somebody else. And not to share, thus saith the Lord, and, and we've all been in those contexts. And it's like, well, if you're evaluating that and it's meant to be evaluated, maybe you shouldn't come out and saying, the Lord is saying this. But I was listening to a message from a guy and he was talking about they were meeting in a small group and a new guy came in to the small group and it was one of the pastors that was leading and they were just spending a time in prayer and uh, the new guy came in and he didn't know hardly anyone in the group but he was speaking to the pastor and he just said, I think I've got something for the Lord for me, I don't know, but I'm just getting this picture from the movie Hook. I've never seen the movie Hook, but it's Robin Williams in that, and there's a scene in there where I guess Robin Williams' dad is just this absent dad, and he plays baseball or t-ball, and uh, his dad never shows up. And so his dad promises to show up, promises to show up, and then it's the scene where the kid's playing, and he's looking up into the stands, and the dad doesn't show up. And this pastor breaks down at the moment and just begins to weep and just sense the presence of God. And the other guys in the group are like, you're not going to believe this, but if you know this guy's backstory, when he was young, at a Little League game, his dad came up to him, grabbed him by the shoulders and said, I can't be your dad anymore. And he's never heard from his dad since. So God's speaking through someone and it's strange and it's like, oh, this is weird, but it's something that that guy needed for healing. Because he was married and he said, I'm, I don't really want to have any kids because I don't want to be the kind of dad that my dad was. And so prophecy is not thus saith the Lord, but maybe this would bring healing in your life. In 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about prophecy being given for the strengthening, the exhortation, and that word exhortation is the same word that we use for paraclete, the Holy Spirit. It means sometimes a kick in the rear end and sometimes it means an arm around the shoulder and then for consolation. And I think we need that. We need to sense that God is still working in our lives today. 
And so if you're here this morning and you may be gifted in that way and you just sense, I'd urge you just to take a risk to talk to that person that you may sense God saying, you need to go talk to this person and just let them know this. And it may just be a reminder of a specific scripture. Or it may be something strange like a movie (laughs) scene. You don't know how God is going to use that, but I'm convinced that God still works in these ways today. And we need to be open to that. You know, tongues is another one of these really divisive gifts. And uh, to me, you look at that, and Paul's pretty clear. He's like that in the church when you go and everybody's speaking in tongues. He says, if an unbeliever comes in there, they're going to think you're nuts. So stop it. Just stop. Don't do that, you know? Unless there's somebody there to interpret and then just a couple people, and that's it. But he said, I wish you know, there would be prophecy in church because if an unbeliever comes in, sometimes the secrets of that person's heart are going to be revealed and they're going to fall down on their knees and say, Jesus is Lord. So to me, these gifts are still very needed in the church today. And at the end of that passage, Paul, recognizing what people are like, he says, I want you guys to really eagerly desire that that gift of prophecy operates in your church. And it's like, you all. It's not, okay, the Holy Spirit's sovereign in his giving of the gifts, but I think we as a body can say, yes, we want these kind of things to operate in our church. That would be wonderful as God speaks and heals and encourages and strengthens and challenges people. That's great. And they says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. By the way, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I wish you all prayed in tongues as much as I do. And to me, that scripture, it's pretty clear says, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. It's like, well, that, you know what? One of the main mission organizations that we support, Apostle Paul could not be part of that mission organization because if you speak in tongues, you're not accepted in that. It's like, well, what, what do we do with that? Well, to me, that deals with the manner in which we use our gifts. In all of these passages that talk about gifts, almost always love is included there. You guys need to love one another. You may not all come out on the same page with all of this stuff, but there needs to be love for one another. So what do you think your spiritual gift is here this morning? How many of you taken spiritual gift tests to figure out what your spiritual gift Some of you, right? I think those are of some value right but I think there's an inherent bias in there if I'm taking that test if I think I'm called to be a teacher or want to be a teacher I better say on the question that says what would you rather do study the word and do this or go serve at a soup kitchen I better say study the word because I know I think if you've got some of those tests the best thing is to give them to people around you that know you Because if you're given a gift, it's not for you, it's for the benefit of the body of believers. And so ask people in your circle, where have I ministered to you? How's the Holy Spirit used me in your life? And I think another way to kind of discover our gifts is to to figure out where your passion is. And one of the ways to figure out your passion, I think, is to figure out what gets you really ticked off. (laughs) I'm serious. You go into a church and you're like, I go in there and if I hear 
the word being misused, that's like, oh, you know, there's just something that boils up in me, you know? And if you come to a church and it's like, where is their concern for the poor? Well, maybe you're gifted with giving or service, and that gives you, I think, a clue to where God has gifted you. In Romans 12, when it talks about the gifts, and he says, you know, if it's teaching, then teach. <laughs> if it's encouraging, then encourage and do it cheerfully, right? So he's just saying, do it, right? And I think we've got to give ourselves some space to make mistakes, to fail, to say, this, you know, I'm going to try to do this, and, you know, I kind of sense God leading me in that direction, but, you know, if I fall on my face and if I teach and three quarters of the congregation is asleep and nobody gets it and they're all scratching their head like, what in the heck was he trying to say? Maybe it's not my gift, you know, but that's okay because I've discovered what's not my gift and then I can move on to do something else. Kevin DeYoung has written a book, I think it's called Just Do Something. You know, this paralysis of analysis and we gotta figure everything out before we do anything. And it's like, okay, just begin to move and see how God uses you. Where's my heart beating? And then begin to get involved in that. And if you come to the church and like, well, they don't have a place for my gift to be used here. It's like maybe God has brought you to church so that you can develop a ministry that that would be part of the growing up and maturing of the body there. But what we tend to do using the body analogy is all the toes hang out with all the toes, all the kidneys are over there with the kidneys, all the knees are with the knees, and then they look at the toes and say, man, they're just not bending really well. That's, that's full range of motion. And, and the mouth is saying, wow, if they'd really be communicating, what's their problem? Instead of coming together and saying, you know what, we're all called to be together. And I think that's one of the problems with the modern churches that we have these groups over here that do that stuff and we're over here and do this stuff, but we need some of this stuff and they need some of our stuff and we'd function much better and we'd mature more quickly, I think, when all of that stuff functions together as a body. So the goal is Christ-likeness. The means to get to that goal is all of us using our gifts. And I've already mentioned this briefly, the manner in which we do this. The attitude we have in using our gifts is as important as using them. Have you ever been, quote, ministered to by someone that you knew their heart wasn't in the right place? That they were doing that out of a sense of obligation or duty and there was no love in that? How did that feel? It's like, okay, just, I'd rather you not than you do it in this attitude. I've done the dishes in that way, ask my wife banging them a little bit and just like, okay, I'm doing the ditches. She'd be really proud of me. <laughs> Don't really want to do them, but I'm doing it. We're to do all this with love, right? That famous passage in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, that, that wasn't written for weddings. It wasn't. It was written for how we function in using our gifts, Right? Love is patient. Am I patient in using my gifts? Am I kind in how I use my gifts? Am I rude? Do I insist on my own way? My gift's the most important. It's not arrogant. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. It allows space for people to make mistakes. It recognizes, you know what? I've been forgiven so much, so if this person stumbles or says something to me that ticks me off, then that's okay because I'm sure I've said a bunch of stuff that God has forgiven me for. We're called to use our gifts in a loving way. In a most Christ-like way. And to me, it takes you to Philippians 2, right? Have this mindset in you that was in Jesus Christ. And basically that whole passage is, though he was very God of this universe, he became a humble servant to bless other people. That's radical in our world. How would church or Christian community look if we came not with an attitude of, what am I going to get out of this? Is it going to suit my style? How will my needs be met? Or if we came with an attitude of, God, who's here today that I can build up, that I can serve in some way, that I can help to encourage or lighten their load? And I thank God that we've got the church that we do because there are a lot of people that have that attitude. But like Paul said, you're loving, love better. We're doing it, we can do more. And I don't want to add just another thing onto our, okay, community is a buzzword, everybody's talking. We, I want this to be part of, of who we are as a body. And I think sometimes to function in this way, we're going to have to jettison some things maybe. This is not really crucial in my life but this is really, really important if I need to meet with other people. How do I make that a bigger part of my life? And I think in this, when we recognize, you know what, the manner in which I'm to do this is with Christ-like love, that should drive us to our knees because that's not what we naturally are. I said, we've been bred in this super individualistic culture and we've been bred to kind of evaluate everything in terms of how it meets our needs. And that's just kind of what we bring to the mix. And we bring that to the mix of community as well. So I know I need this and I know you need this to be transformed in how I think and say, okay, this person is a partaker in the divine nature that may have something to give to me and I may have something to give to them. And when I get together, it's not just this, hey, how are you doing? You know, how the Bucks do last night? Yeah, they won, awesome. You know, but am I seeking to help them grow in maturity in Jesus Christ? And sometimes that means I may have to share something that doesn't, quote, feel loving on the surface. God often brings us up short. Read the prophets. It's like, whoa. Why does he do that? He doesn't do it because he doesn't like his people. He does it because he loves his people and recognizes the way you're going is going to lead to death and destruction. I don't want you to go that way. So using our gifts sometimes takes courage. But we've got to speak that truth and we've got to speak it in love. Not coming in with a high hand, man, I've got this nailed down. What in the heck is the problem that you're having? So do this with an attitude of dependent prayer on God, saying, God, help me to love with your attitude.
Help me to use my gifts, not for my glory, but for your glory and for the benefit of other people. So that's the manner in which we use our gifts. And finally, the context in which we use our gifts. It's wherever and whenever we gather, right? There's a lot of people today that are saying, man, we just need to blow up the church. We need to burn it down and we need to start anew because it's just not functioning as the early church functioned. There's very little kind of body connectedness and ministry of one another, so let's just blow this thing up. Francis Chan, I love Francis Chan, but that's kind of the tenor of his latest book. It's like, okay, get rid of all pastors immediately. I don't like this book at all, Francis. What are you saying, right? But his point is that there's not a lot of the priesthood of all believers functioning. We're, we're a kind of a come and see mentality and an entertainment mentality in the church where God has called us to be a connected mentality. We're interdependent. We're to be using our gifts to benefit other people. And it's not just three people on Sunday morning that has gifts. It's everybody in the church. Each one, each one, each one has a gift. But I don't think that's the healthiest way to go about it. I think you realize that there's different contexts. And Sunday morning, there are a few gifts that operate and that's great and that's wonderful. But you know what, Jesus, sometimes he had a group of 72, a group of 500, there were bigger groups. The early church met in the temple. Paul taught in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, so there were some bigger group meetings, but you know what, there are a lot of smaller ones too. Smaller groups. The New Testament church seemed to be structured around homes. And homes in that day, from my understanding, it, would have a central courtyard often, and that's where believers would gather. Maybe 30 or 40 max could fit in a space like that. And so the church was much more interactive and much more participatory and that that's okay. Sunday morning doesn't have to look like that, but some of those opportunities have to exist. So I encourage you, if you're youth, go to youth group. If you're a guy, please join us at Iron Man. If you're a lady, there's ladies' Bible studies. If you're a young career or college, go to dispersion. Participate in a home group. Those are some of the times where other people's gifts can be ministering to you and you can use your gifts to minister to other people as well. That's Jesus' group of 12 disciples, right? But then he seemed to have a group of three within the 12 either, even. James, Peter, and John, right? He seemed to single them out sometimes. The Mount of Transfiguration was one going in to heal. The girl was another. And I think there's some things that are tough to share even in a group that's a small group where we need one or two others, a brother or a sister that you can be totally real and honest with and say, you know what, this is I know where I need to be but this is where I am right now and, and we need to be able to do that because I always preach against the fine, fine church. How are you doing fine? How are you doing fine? And then you hear somebody totally too about their life and it's like, man, just last week they said they were doing fine. I guess they decided to run away with their secretary or their lover this week and it just happened in a few days. And again, we need to be in one another's lives and it's not just content delivery. I was taking a class from Don Carson here and there was a guy in England that he said, if you want to know how to preach, you need to listen to this guy. And this was back in, this is going to date me in cassette tapes, you know, so we had to go to the library and check out a cassette tape. And this guy was amazing. He was near Oxford in England, and so 
I'd listen to him, and you know, right when he came down here, the internet was just coming online, so you'd able to get some stuff there. And then all of a sudden, one week, everything that he had done at the church was just gone. I mean, and so I was like, "What in the world happened? The guy's not on the church roster anymore." Is, is what? He decided to run away with his lover and leave his family, and said, "That's totally fine with God. God's cool with that." Did the man have content? Yeah. Yeah, he was amazing in his ability to communicate truth. Did he have connection with other believers in his life? I would highly doubt that. That he didn't have community. And if we think just me alone with content is going to be enough to transform my life and to make me more Christ-like, we are living in a pipe dream biblically. Because God says we are called to be a body. We need one another. It's not an option. So if you're here this morning and you're not connected, I just urge you to do that. And I know it's going to take initiative and some of, someone said, I'm an introvert. I'm not saying you've got to do this with a thousand people, but you need a few people that you can connect with, that you can be real with. Because we don't function well on our own and I don't think we certainly grow on our own. So there's pushback that we're going to get from our own kind of culture and the individualistic nature that we have. And a lot of us, yes, like, oh, yeah, other people need community. I'm pretty good. You need it. And there's that consumer mentality that we come with. It's like, oh, I'm here to be served, and I'm evaluate everything on what it does for me instead of asking what can I do for other people. How can I use what God has given me and whatever gifting I have to benefit them? So I invite you along with me on this journey to move towards being a better interdependent connected body of Christ with one another. Again, I think we do a good job. We're not a church where, oh man, he's preached really long, you know, out of here because I got to get to wherever I got to get to for lunch. But we we hang out. I have to kick people out of here. I'm like, come on, I want to get home. I want to have lunch. Stop talking, you know. And it's a church where I was talking to, I think it was Bill DePirius that, you know, last week Ryan really encouraged him just over a cup of coffee in Grace Hall in the morning. That's body connectedness. It's not, oh, did Brett have a good message? Yeah, it's marginal that way. But this other person, man, they, they really encouraged my heart. That's great. That's how we should be functioning as a body. We are called as all of us priests to minister to one another. Each one has been given a gift. Let's use it for his glory. And so the world will look at us and say, wow, how those people love one another. They're different in so many ways, but you know what? They really care. I want to be part of that. Let's pray. Father, I've talked a long time this morning. And I'm sure these people are feeling it. But I just pray that these words would be more than mere words. That the words that you want to stick will stick. That you would build us into a body in the sense that you're calling us to be a body. Lord, we are so prone to just do our own thing. So help us, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit. May He have free reign and rule in this place. We want everything you have for us and nothing more. Lord, grow us so that we look more like Jesus. 
And it's in his powerful and precious name I pray. Amen.